Okay, today we're going to talk about some of the original investing commentary and podcasts and the top articles on Validia's Grew Investor blog for the week of June 18th, 2021. And to start, Jack, I'll let you talk about the article you wrote um, and get right into it. Yeah, I wanted to write about, you know, the 60-40 portfolio has had its best 40-year period in history. Um, and, you know, so investors who invest in the 60-40 have been spoiled for a long period of time. And, and it's a great portfolio long term as well. But we're sort of seeing a situation here where we've got a couple different things going on. One is stock valuations are high, which means lower expected returns for stocks going forward. Two is bonds you know, yields are very low, which means lower expected returns for bonds. And, you know, we also have a situation where inflation may be coming into the picture. You know, we don't know that for sure. Obviously, economists differ on that. But we're seeing with, with the fiscal stimulus that's happened, we're seeing a better chance of inflation than we've seen in a long time. And so what I wanted to do is, you know, our whole thing at Validia is we try to follow quantitative approaches. So I wanted to find some quantitative approaches that go beyond the 60-40 portfolio. They don't, don't just own stocks and bonds. That bring maybe some other things into the picture that might do well in an inflationary environment. So I talked about some simple ones like the permanent portfolio, which is just stocks, bonds, gold. Um, and then we talked about some more advanced ones that use things like momentum to determine which asset classes to rotate among. But it, it was just the idea was just to try to find some interesting strategies that investors may take a look at in a world where maybe the 60-40 portfolio won't deliver the returns in the future that it has in the past 40 years. Yeah, and I think, you know, given that there's sort of a lot of signs of inflation, we don't know if it's going to persist or not, but certainly, you know, bonds don't do well in inflationary times and stocks Stocks can do, can do well, but not when inflation's too high or when it's unexpected. So I just think that's what's causing a lot of investors to sort of ask the question around this now. Um, plus, like you said, it's been the 60-40 has been such a good portfolio where stock valuations are and where bond yields are. You know, a lot of investors are looking out into the next 10 years and saying, especially if you're in retirement and you're assuming a 4% withdrawal rate, well, is, is the 60-40 going to deliver that? I mean, we don't know, but it's just alternative strategies that might be able to help there, I think are important for investors to think about. Yeah, there's, there's a couple big problems as you think about incorporating inflation into your portfolio. One is we don't know, like you said, we don't know if we're actually going to have inflation. So if I build these things into my portfolio that do well in inflation and I don't have inflation, well, that, that doesn't really work out well for me. So, you know, that, that's an issue in terms of, of trying to incorporate these things in. And the other one is all the things you can potentially incorporate in have their own problems. So commodities have really long periods of underperformance. You know, there's all these, these issues with trying to do it. So what we wanted to do is we want to look at systematic portfolios. So you're not sitting there and trying to say, should I put commodities in? Should I not put commodities in? And also portfolios that might do well even if inflation doesn't materialize because they still have the stocks and the bonds. So that was the idea in the article was to look at various different possibilities that, you know, that are systematic and include other asset classes. Uh, what was our podcast this week? Um, we sat down with Jason Sue from Rayland. He's also the, uh, one of the co-founders of Research Affiliates, although he's not at Research Affiliates anymore. He's at Rayland, which is a firm that basically is applying factor and quantitative investing to the Chinese market. So... Yeah, we talked to Jason about a lot of different things. I mean, we went through all the major investing factors with him, kind of got his take on, you know, why those factors work and just his overall view on those investing factors. So value or momentum and others. Um, we uh, talked to him about the opportunity that he sees in China. One of the things that's interesting is, and you know, like investing in China, it's, you hear about all these, gro the growth opportunities in China, just given how massive and big that market is. But you know, you don't hear a lot of um, active investors having success in the Chinese market. And as Jason pointed out, you know, Vanguard recently pulled out of China. So they kind of threw up their hands and said, you know, we don't think we can get traction here. But one of the things that Jason pointed out was that the Chinese market is very retail driven. And a lot of the investing factors 
that at least have worked on paper over here um, seem to work really well in China because there's just not a lot of like institutional sophisticated competition. So I thought Jason made a pretty good point about why, you know, there's an opportunity for firms like his um, in the Chinese market. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously the less efficient a market is, the better you expect to do with factors. And, you know, he talked about, you know, because he also teaches college classes. He talked about how, you know, in, in the U.S. you teach these factors and then you have to say at the end, well, you know, maybe they don't work as well as they used to in the U.S. But in China, you know, they're working really well. And, you know, part of that could be an inefficient market. But also the other part is what you, what you said, which is all the retail involvement in the market, because when people are acting irrationally, you know, the factors are based on the success of factors is based in many ways around people irrationally pricing assets. And so when people are irrational and, you know, they're, they're chasing high flying stocks and things like that, you know, you end up with mispriced assets and you end up with a better opportunity to, for factors to work. So yeah, it was a really interesting interview. We talked about U.S. factors as well. We went through all the factors and how they've worked in the U.S. and their outlook going forward. But we also spent some time on China. So I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, what article stood out to you this week? Uh, it's called a repeat of the roaring 20s stock market. Uh, don't count on it from our blog. Um, and, and the idea is there's a couple things. You know, a lot of people are saying we're about to get the roaring 20s again. You know, obviously with all the stimulus, you know, we're, we're about to get, we're reopening the economy. We're about to get a roaring economy and, you know, a roaring stock market. And, and the thing that struck me about it is, is the need to decouple those two different things. So I think it, there is probably a pretty good chance we're going to have very strong economic growth for a period of time here. So it is possible from that perspective, we might get the roaring 20s. But then you have the other side of the equation, which is what does that mean for the stock market? And what connects those two sides is the, is the concept of valuation. And that's what people miss a lot of the time is in the leading into the roaring 20s, the stock market was exceptionally cheap. The stock market today is exceptionally expensive. So that doesn't mean we're going to have bad returns or anything like that, but that's a big separation. You know, in, in that case, if you have a cheap stock market and you end up with a roaring economy, you can very well have a stock market that does very well along with the economy. But as we've learned in, you know, periods coming out of 2000, you know, a great company at a bad price is a bad investment. And so a, a stock market where the economy is going up a lot at a bad price also can be a bad investment. So I think it's just important to to decouple those two things and think, all right, we might get a roaring economy, that, but that doesn't necessarily mean we'll also get a roaring stock market. That's a good point. Um, what was your article this week? So it was an article from Morningstar, and it was basically highlighting a study that came out of Finland. Um, what's interesting is I guess in Finland, they have like lenient privacy laws. So this research team was able to access individual equity holding information like their trading uh, and portfolio information, but also the individual psychological testing records. And they basically were able to determine that, you know, using that, that information, they were able to kind of group people into different buckets based on their personality traits. Um, they found that there was at least there was four different buckets, but there was novelty seeking people and then reward dependence seeking people. So novelty seeking people were basically easily bored, um, uh, whereas um, uh, reward dependence people were, uh, their actions were guided by social, the cues that they received basically. But then they kind of, then they sort of grouped people even further and said there's like extravagant people. So these are basically people with the uh, propensity to splurge impulsively. Those investors from a personality standpoint, tended to favor large cap growth stocks. Those impulsive people, those willing to make decisions based on incomplete information, they those investors favored small cap growth stocks. Those sentimental people who tended to be affected by sort of emotional stimuli, they favored small cap value stocks. 
And then there was social, social people who tended to favor small, sort of small cap stocks of any sort, but mostly with a value, um, tilt. Yeah. And so the article like kind of debates the finding of this sort of sentimental and social, like social, these findings, but they argued that growth investors needed to have faith in the companies that they were buying because they were buying at high prices and sort of the future was largely unknown where value investors, on the other hand, act more like market historians who focus on how similar investments have fared in the past. So it's just they were able to kind of group these investors by their personalities and kind of say whether or not they were you know, more likely to be buying growth stocks or value stocks. So I sort of found that interesting. Not that I want that happening in the US with like, like you know, a researcher basically getting the, the results of my personality test along with my portfolio holdings, but in Finland, I guess they can do it. And so that was the outcome of the findings there. Yeah, well, I think this probably nailed me. I mean, I probably am more on the sentimental side and I'm more of the small cap value investor. And also I'm definitely going to tend to look at market history, you know, more than I'm going to take faith or something in terms of what I'm investing in. So it probably did. It pro- they, they didn't have my portfolio because it wasn't in the US, but uh, it, pro- it probably does fit me well. You know, this idea of like understanding like what type of investor you are, I think is important. It's important for like financial advisors and managers and people that work with investors. Because if you can better understand an investor's personality, you might be able to better advise them over the long run, but also like just knowing yourself, like, you know, that that's how you are as an investor. I mean, a lot of people probably don't even haven't even thought about that. Like, what is my personality and how does that translate into, you know, my investment strategy or what I believe in? So it's certainly something that I think we'll do um, that will be looked at more and more as we kind of get more data driven um, around, you know, advising investors over time. And particularly for people like us who might, you know, put people in, say, small cap value aggressive portfolios. Well, if you can know something about their personality that tells you whether that's a right fit for them and whether they're more than like more likely to stick to it when it's not doing well, you know, that, that actually is really important information. So, you know, this is some interesting research along those lines. Yeah, we'll put links to all these uh, posts and articles and podcasts in the show notes. So uh, thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital.